Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. North American International Auto Show is now open to the public, and one thing is becoming clearer than anything else. The auto industry is global in a way it never was before. The Detroit Three are partnering with foreign automakers they once saw as bitter competition, and many of the Detroit-made cars are, well, built overseas. And the number of auto jobs here in Southeast Michigan is declining, not growing. With all the changes, it's worth asking, can we still call Detroit unequivocally the Motor City? We're going to answer that question today in many different ways. We're going to talk with experts and auto industry watchers throughout the hour. But first, WDET's Laura Herberg spoke with a number of people about this question as well. Here's her report. Traffic whirs by on the corner of Woodward Avenue and Canfield Street in Midtown Detroit. Mustafa Ali and Khalil Tashambe are walking quickly down the sidewalk. Do you think it's time that Detroit stopped being the Motor City? Uh, no. Stop being the Motor City and be what? Ali says cars are ingrained in Detroit's history. Do you guys have any connection to the auto industry personally? Uh, just buying them. <laughs> when we when we buy, we, we're actually in the market now to buy one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We on foot, we busting it right now, so we looking to buy a car. <laughs> Annette Madison says it's time for Detroit to give up on the Motor City title. I just think it's time for an image change. You know what I'm saying? I'm more productive. You know, what's going on now? Madison says tech jobs are what's happening now. And she says the auto industry is irrelevant in Detroit. I think it's dead. You know, they're constantly laying off, you know, people relocating, and then they cut the pay. You know what I'm saying? So it's a big difference than it was 40, 50 years ago when I was a kid. Wayne State Professor of Urban Planning Avis Vidal says the auto industry's impact on Detroit's workforce and economy has indeed decreased. I think it's way smaller than people normally assume, particularly people who aren't from here, because the number of production jobs that are here are quite small, and people who have production jobs in the suburbs, on the whole, live in the suburbs. Manufacturing jobs have been moving to the suburbs where there's more space and land is cheaper for as long as workers could get out there. Companies have moved to southern and western states where costs can be lower. Jobs have also been given to robots or moved overseas, where the labor force is cheaper. Vehicles now come off the assembly line closer to their global customers. In Metro Detroit, automobile and parts manufacturing dropped about 38 percent between 2001 and 2017. That's according to U.S. Census Bureau data compiled by Data Driven Detroit. Vidal says there's no harm in using the Motor City moniker. As she puts it, it doesn't cost anything. But she adds, I don't know that anybody would name a city as the auto city based on today's employment characteristics. Certainly Detroit wouldn't be in it because we don't produce cars. There may be several automotive-related plants in the area, but only two in Detroit assemble vehicles. 
This year, that number will be cut in half. In November, General Motors announced it would stop production at the Detroit Hamtramck plant. In the early 1980s, the area called Pole Town fought the seizure and destruction of homes by the city of Detroit to make way for that General Motors plant. Consumer advocate and former presidential candidate Ralph Nader appears in a documentary from the time called Pole Town Lives. In this clip, he responds to someone who says that Detroit is in desperate straits. If it was in real desperate straits, they would use $300 million of the taxpayers' money to produce uh, more jobs, more diversified small industry in Detroit to companies that really need it because they're small businesses and produce a lot of jobs, rather than giving a $320 million package to the second richest corporation in the world to build a highly automated, robotized plant which at its peak will not employ more than 3,500 workers. The GM plant never did achieve the promised jobs. Nader says his views on the matter haven't changed much today. Corporate subsidies, which liberals call corporate welfare and conservatives call crony capitalism, should be abolished. They subsidize inefficiency. A lot of the plants are going to be built where the company wants them to be built, and the subsidies are like a dessert, a freebie. The Illinois-based manufacturing company Flexingate recently received a $5.9 million property tax abatement from the city of Detroit, plus more than $5 million in state and federal grants to build an auto parts plant on Detroit's east side. As of today, there are 810 people working at the Flexingate plant, and 81% of those employees are city of Detroit residents. That's City Council Member Scott Benson. He's standing in the atrium of a church that is packed like it's Easter Sunday with people looking to get hired by Flexingate. More than 700 job seekers are here for 200 positions that pay up to $14 an hour. They lined up hours before the start time, some even standing out in the cold. When people say we can't find Detroiters to work, I say boulder dash. I say you come here today and you will see what it means to offer Detroiters jobs and how people are prepared and ready to work in the city of Detroit. Unfortunately, the majority of the people here are going to walk away without a job offer from Flexingate because there just aren't enough openings. But there has been buzz about a new Jeep SUV plant planned in the city by Fiat Chrysler. And of course, there are Ford's plans to convert the abandoned train station into an autonomous vehicle tech hub. That will bring jobs to the city for people with advanced degrees. Detroit Regional Chamber CEO Sandy Barua says the auto industry is transitioning to be less about cars with gas-powered motors and more about emerging transportation technology. Barua says this shift should be reflected in Detroit's identity. When you look at how the mobility industry is going to explode over the next two to four decades, you know, it's going to more than triple in size. We want to be at the forefront of that. Should we start calling Detroit the mobility city? Well, we actually have already tried to do that. But mobility city doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Back on Woodward Avenue, Peter Sliwa has an idea of what the city can call itself. Detroit. I mean, we're Detroit. I think we can just stand our own laurels and present everything that is Detroit to the world. Sliwa says Detroit's museums, public art, and places like Eastern Market and the Riverfront should speak for themselves. I'm Laura Herberg, WDET News. 
Joining us now to talk more about whether Detroit can still be called the Motor City is Michael Smith. He is the principal archivist at the Michigan Historical Collections at the University of Michigan's Bentley Historical Library. He's the former director of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs right here at Wayne State University. Michael Smith, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So you heard uh, Laura Herberg's report there about uh, whether we should be called the Motor City. Uh, What's your reaction to it? Well, I believe we should still be called the Motor City. Now, on one hand, to paraphrase a recent Buick commercial, this is not your dad's Motor City or your grandfather's Motor City. It has changed. But to just look at manufacturing jobs and maybe internal combustion engines, I think misses the point. Uh, Or assembly plants in the city proper. Uh, Since the beginning of the Motor City, for example, you can make a a strong argument that by 1908, with the introduction of the Model T, this is the Motor City. Uh, Other cities at that time, like Cleveland and Hartford, were saying they were the Motor City, but we were clearly out-making or out-manufacturing any other city in the country, or in the world for that matter of fact. But it was always regional. It wasn't just the city proper. For example, Henry Ford opens his Highland Park plant in 1910. Within a few years, it's producing half of the world's cars, uh, and that is in a suburb, uh, soon to be surrounded by Detroit, uh, but still. The Dodge Brothers open up in Hamtramck, their famous Dodge main plant, which is right next to Highland Park, and you had Oakland, which became Pontiac in the city of Pontiac. You had uh, Oldsmobile start in this city, uh, but then by 1904 was in Lansing, And even today, you have a going truck plant at the River Rouge plant in Dearborn. You have a a new Ranger. Uh, The mid-sized truck Ford's uh, producing will be out in Wayne. You have Sterling Heights. You have uh, Flint still makes trucks. And so I think in production, it's still a heavy concentration. But more than that, I would say this the technical capital of the automobile industry, the global technical capital. And... In that sense, it's still the Motor City. Yeah. Um, we all sort of know where we've been in the last 30 or 40 years, I guess, with, with autos and the decline of the auto industry here in Detroit. Go back further and talk about how Detroit became the Motor City. Sure. Um, Detroit became the Motor City because of uh, a conglomeration of great uh, assets, One cannot point to a single factor. There are people who say, oh, it's all because of Henry Ford. Or one could say it's because we had a great port and easy access to raw materials such as iron ore and wood. Well, so did Cleveland, so did Chicago. What you had in Detroit in the beginning were uh, access to resources. You had skills in working with metal. For example, uh, this was in 1890, the stove capital of the world. Uh, You also had uh, one key industry that was in place, which was gasoline marine engines. Henry Leland, for example, made these internal combustion engines for boats. He was also the founder of Cadillac, by the way. Um, And we had skills with that. But more than anything, I think, on top of the, uh, the sort of natural resources we had, is we had the human resources. Henry Ford, Ransom Oles, the Dodge Brothers, People like this were here working in Detroit, 
And their chief goal was to put America on wheels, to mass produce cars so that everyone, every American who had a modicum of income could afford a, a, a personal vehicle. Yeah. At, at one point, there were something like 27 different auto plants yes. operating at the same time in the city, which is really amazing to think about given that I think we have two left uh, yeah. actually building cars in, yeah. in, the, in the city. Right. And it, there's going to be a new one started in the old Mac Avenue, I believe, F, uh, FCA is going to, but still. And you're right, because what happened was if you look at uh, pri- the Depression era and prior to World War II, you still had automobiles like Cupmobile, Hudson, Packard. Packard was the luxury vehicle. Most of them converted, not most, all converted to producing war material for World War II. And then after the war, to convert back to making cars, a lot of them just simply could not uh, 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 cope with the economy of scale needed to mass produce cars. And suddenly we're down to a handful of them. Hudson and Studebaker didn't survive very long. Studebaker, though, was Indiana by that time. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Michael Smith. He's the principal archivist at the Michigan Historical Collections at the University of Michigan's Bentley Historical Library. We're talking about the history of the nickname for this city, the Motor City, what we call Detroit very often when we refer to it. Can or should Detroit still call itself the Motor City? Think of all the changes in the auto industry, the shrinking that we have seen over many decades, and the way in which the industry has changed, uh, the relationship that we have to cars today looks really different than it did just 10 or 20 years ago. Do those things mean that the Motor City nickname is outdated for Detroit? And how significant is the auto industry in your life? How, how much does it mean to you in terms of jobs? How much does it mean to you in terms of culture? Those are all things, I think, that weighed into us calling ourselves the Motor City for so long. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Um, uh, when we when we talk about the changes, I guess, in the auto industry and the culture, um, that's a, a less tangible thing, I guess, to, to measure than the presence of auto jobs or the number of auto plants. But talk a little about the history of that culture and the way that cars became sort of imbued in our character here in Detroit. Absolutely. I think you've made a most important point, Stephen. This is the Motor City because of culture as much as anything. Now, I'm a bit older, so I grew up in an era where when I was in high school, getting your driver's license at 16 and getting a car and being able to work (laughs) on the car, that was everything. Uh, Drag racing down Woodward or Northline near the airport, it was everything. But think about it in the larger context. Yes, we no longer have as many people making cars. Growing up in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s, peak UAW uh, as a measure uh, production or a membership was 1.5 million in uh, 1978. And during that era, uh, everybody knew someone who worked in the car business, an uncle, an aunt, a sister, a brother. Uh, And most people growing up at one time spent a little time in a factory or a car dealership or a gas station. 
And there was that sense of it. Uh, and I think that's faded a bit just simply because uh, while we can still produce a heck of a lot of cars with better quality than ever, with amazing, amazing electronics uh, and amazing uh, uh, advances, you need about 25% of the people to make these cars. However, I would also say, think about the free press and the news. Mm-hmm. You know any other major city where there isn't a week goes by, if not every two days, a front-page story on the auto industry. Right. People follow the auto industry in this town. Uh, and that's part of why I still think it's the Motor City, not only because of technical capabilities, which are immense here, and we're leaders in mobility, but also we have some intellectual resources, Detroit Auto News comes out every Monday morning reporting on the industry, and that's what Mary Barra, the you know CEO of GM, reads as well as uh, some of the rest of us who, who get it to see what's going on in the industry. And Crane's Detroit Business, which produces it, also produces a European version, a Japan version. And there's that kind of intellectual uh, apparatus in the city, as well as technical centers for suppliers. One thing that gets lost in the conversation sometimes, because sort of the, the glamour or the... Uh, the chief uh, 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 indicator of the industry is an assembly plant. This is uh, sort of the mother of all plants because this is where parts come together and a car rolls off, starts, and, and runs off the line. But people forget about suppliers. <laughs> and even in the beginning, going back to the history, like Henry Ford, his first cars had supplies. The Dodge brothers became rich by supplying frames to Henry Ford for his Model T. And uh, his first cars had uh, Holly carburetors, which was a supplier, no longer around. Suppliers have changed much like the auto industry at large and consolidated. But, and if you look at suppliers, most overwhelmingly, uh, m- most of the major t- suppliers have their technical centers in the metro right Detroit here. area, right here. And, and then, you know, when you think about mobility and Ford buying the old uh, – you know, the icon of Detroit's demise, the uh, Grand or, uh, Michigan Central Station, and turning that into a center for mobility, or U of M, where I'm from, where we have had M-City for several years testing mobility, testing autonomous cars, to say nothing of EP, uh, EPA labs, uh, and Toyota has a, a technical center in uh, Ann Arbor. And uh, in this case, along with the culture, there I think there are, uh, all of this affects uh, the culture, the point you started with on your question, where even though it's not like the 50s where six of every 10 jobs in Michigan were tied to the auto industry, we're all still tied to the auto industry here. And, uh, you know, three major corporations are more or less headquartered here. FCA technically is headquartered in Holland, <laughs> but builds nothing there. Right. But uh, Dodge is still here and uh, and. Uh, you know, and every major manufacturer has a deep presence in Detroit. This affects the people who work here. This affects the reporting. This affects all of us, how we think about the city. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Andrew in Auburn Hills. Andrew, what's on your mind? So I'm a electrification engineer in the auto industry here, and I wanted to point out that we use the term electric motor uh, in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think that with <laughs> The big threes move towards electrification. Uh, Detroit will be called the Motor City. I think that that nickname is still relevant um, in that context. Even though, right? Even though the 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 means of 
of energy, I guess, that uh, the, the motors draw on is different. And, Andrew, that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, and, it, and it says a lot that they still call them motors and they still oh. think of uh, this as a motor industry. Therefore, maybe this is the motor city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting how this is coming back. Uh, electric cars were still vying to be king of the automobiles in the 1900s. And uh, this lost an internal combustion engine, but now the electric motor is making a comeback. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the Motor City and that nickname, whether it still applies to our wonderful city of Detroit. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the nickname, the Motor City. That's what we've called Detroit for many, many decades. But think of all the changes that have happened in the auto industry. Think of the changes in the way we think about cars and transportation. Do those suggest that that nickname is maybe a little outdated and that we aren't the Motor City, or at least maybe not in the same way we were before. As always, we want to hear from you about this. Uh, how does this look in your world? How does this look in your work world uh, in terms of your job or your family? Uh, and also, give us a call and tell us how you think of cars, how you relate to cars. A little later in the program, we're going to talk with two people about the next generation of Detroiters, millennials, and how they think of cars and transportation and whether the Motor City nickname will survive their generation. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. My guest is Michael Smith. He's the principal archivist for the Michigan Historical Collections at the University of Michigan's Bentley Historical Library. Uh, Michael, I want to start this segment talking about jobs uh, in particular. Um, uh, and I have some numbers here that, uh, that reflect that. Um, if you look at motor vehicle manufacturing in this city, uh, over over time. In 2001, 59,000 manufacturing jobs. Today, just 25,000. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, suppliers, it's not quite as much of a drop-off, but still down. Dealers uh, down, other motor vehicle dealers. I mean, there is a, there is a very dramatic change, I guess, unfolding with work and autos. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, a dramatic change is, is correct. And this began really, uh, you start seeing this in the 90s, 1990s. Uh, I would say two things uh, factor into this, uh, three perhaps, uh, one being foreign competition. So now there are uh, a number of foreign makers, uh, Mercedes, BMW, in fact, most of the foreign makers have plants somewhere in Detroit. And foreign competition cuts into or somewhere in the country, excuse me. And foreign competition cuts into uh, the American uh, manufacturer's base. Uh, point of comparison, in the 1950s and 60s, 95, 90 percent 
of the cars sold in this country were made by American automobile mm-hmm. makers. So one fact, that's one factor. The second factor is you can still produce a lot of cars uh, uh, with 25% of the people. In, in, in essence, underneath, uh, in a modern factory, there's still a moving assembly line. In that sense, the, the fundamental backbone of an assembly plant hasn't changed since Henry Ford introduced the moving assembly line into Highland, his Highland Park plant to make Model Ts in 1913. However, computers and robotics uh, have changed the whole game. Walk, to a mo- walk through a modern assembly plant, and a lot of it's dark. Uh, and you see a, a person in the background at a computer screen, and it's robotics making the whole car until you reach the end where you need humans again. And then um, finally, uh, uh, oh, God, I'm sorry. I lost my third point. Uh, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, and then the, the nature of cars, uh, of course, have uh, uh, changed tremendously. But I, the third point being that what happened in uh, uh, the 2008 and 2009 recession, this was devastating to workers. And I feel for UAW members and non-UAW members in auto plants who lost their livelihood. Because for years, I mean for most of the 20th century, except for a few periods during a recession or the Great Depression, um, this you could get jobs, manufacturing jobs here. When I graduated from high school in 1971, you could walk out the door, walk right into Ford's or uh, – yeah, if you speak like a Detroiter, it's Ford's, right? <laughs> Ford's, <laughs> Ford right? Motor Company <laughs> or GM or Chrysler, and you have a manufacturing job and you have a middle-class wage. And and this just doesn't occur anymore. And in the 2008 and 2009 recession, the one thing that was good for the auto manufacturing and good for American business at large and saved the companies, not just the bailout, was getting rid of overcapacity. There were too many factories per contract that were still being operating or kept in operation at a minimal, uh, 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 at a minimal level uh, because of contracts, and that overcapacity cost the car companies. Hmm. And, and that was a big correction, and I think the third factor a decade ago. Of course, right now with the recent announcements by GM, that's what they're trying to do now uh, again is, is uh, right size in case of an impending recession so they don't have to go into bankruptcy again. Yeah. yeah. But it hurts workers on the ground and hurts the motor city in terms of auto employment. And let's get back to the phones. We got a lot of folks who want to talk about uh, the motor city, its past and its future. Ed in Detroit, you're up next. Welcome to the show. Wonderful conversation. Thanks. Ed. Um, yes, the, the, the label motor city still applies for a variety of reasons. But underneath that is something that I think many people haven't become aware of. The auto industry, uh, both the domestics and the internationals, who are located in Metro Detroit with their research labs, um, are major employers of tech workers. That the, the growing STEM uh, labor force in this metropolitan area owes maybe more of its presence to the fact that the auto industry is here, mm. and we need to impress upon our high school students and university and college students that there are STEM jobs in Metro Detroit. That you, you don't have to go to California to work in the STEM industry. That that um, 
they're here and and they're looking for good workers. Uh, Ed, I really appreciate the call and the comments. I also want to welcome to the conversation uh, somebody else who pays a lot of attention to autos and their place in our community. Daniel Howes is a columnist, columnist and associate business editor at the Detroit News. Daniel, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. Yeah. So you heard what, what Ed said there. Uh, mm-hmm. React to that. Uh, what is the significant the significance of the auto industry from a tech perspective, and does that replace what we've lost in terms of manufacturing and the the other parts of the industry? Well, in a way, it does. Uh, I mean, in the sense that uh, it more and more of uh, the auto industry is for Auto 2.0. You know, of mobility, autonomy, electrification is all about intellectual and human capital. Uh, particularly technical capital, as opposed to people working on the line. Um, you know, this is going to continue to morph. Um, you know, I think Detroit remains the motor city because of its, its historical roots. And so long as these companies, particularly Ford, uh, GM, and Fiat Chrysler, remain here um, and continue to be viable ongoing enterprises and competing, I don't think you're really going to change the fact that this is the motor city. But People have got to, I think, come to terms with a paradigm that has started to change coming out of the 09 meltdown uh, and now going forward, and that is that the competitive set that these companies are um, competing against is not just Toyota and Volkswagen and BMW and Daimler and Honda. Uh, it's Google. It's Apple. It's companies that have you know, a quarter of a trillion dollars in cash that they're sitting on, and there you are. At General Motors, CEO with a lowly $30 billion in cash looking at this and saying, how the hell am I going to compete? And uh, and that's reality. Um, you know, Waymo from Google affiliate um, is very aggressive. They're leading pretty much right now in terms of autonomous testing. Um, and they're going to continue to put the, the, the pedal to the metal, so to speak. So I, I think we're in, in, in a very different environment here. Um, I think in some ways Detroit is on its way to becoming a more tech-focused industry. Um, General Ford is what they're planning to do at the the Michigan Central train station is to use a renovated station to to anchor their uh, mobility and autonomous vehicle uh, development, which I think will be potentially very cool for what it says about Detroit. To hear you take one of the greatest the great eyesore that looms over downtown and has for 30 years um, and turn it into something that is representative of the next century of automotive development uh, pioneered by the great grandson of, of Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's so there's a lot of interesting things here. I think you be careful not to declare the end of one era and the beginning <laughs> of another. It's, it's kind of, it's all kind of this organic changing sort of fluid, process. right? Yeah. So, but, so but I, I wonder, I, Daniel, if you can talk a little about whether you think because of our loyalty to and our dependence upon the auto industry, did Detroit miss an opportunity to rebrand itself in another way and become something other than the Motor City? I, that's a great question. I think the short answer would be probably no. I would submit to you that that opportunity may be, uh, may be coming down the track and may even be almost here. Uh, rebranding is, is great if, it's, if, there's, if there's reality behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, it it's, it's kind of meaningless if, 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 it's, if it's just 
a bunch of crapola that doesn't mean anything and people trying to feel better about themselves. Uh, but I think you can make a very legitimate case um, about automotive tech being headquartered here. You know, I've written about this a lot in the past, and, you know, the stats are a little old, but Michigan has more autonomous testing sites uh, than uh, any state in the Union, including California, as well as more than about the same amount as Ger- the entire countries of Germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's serious stuff here, and it exists, and it exists under our noses. And unless you're in the middle of it, you really don't pay that much attention to it. You just kind of take it for granted. Um, but I don't think there's any question. I think that's really what's undergirding some of the moves that GM and Ford are making. You know, they're competing. I did an interview with Bill Ford uh, last week on the main on the atrium stage, we talked about talent. I mean, they're in a war for talent. I heard that phrase many times: a war for talent. And they're now competing not against Toyota, but they're competing against Google and Apple mm-hmm. for coders and the kind of technical capability that hi- historically they haven't competed for. Mm-hmm. They still need the automotive techs and they still need the automotive engineers, but they need new kinds of engineers and new kinds of technicians who can. Uh, develop code. I think the other thing that's happening, I had a discussion with Mark Royce, the new president of General Motors at the show, and he talked about how a lot of the software development they're going to do, they're going to be doing it in Warren. They're not going to be going to Silicon Valley and buying it. So in some ways, you're starting to see these companies, when it comes to the auto 2.0 technologies, starting to re-vertically integrate again and Mm -hmm. saying, some of this stuff is so proprietary to us, we are not going to buy it from a supplier we're going to develop it on our own um and i don't think everybody's doing that across the board yeah chrysler really is not going in that direction uh, best i can tell from talking to their new ceo um but i think general motors clearly is uh daniel howes columnist and associate business editor at the detroit news thanks very much for being here and sharing that perspective on uh, detroit today my pleasure. Uh, Michael Smith, I want to get back to you and, and, and let you react a little to this idea of Detroit missing opportunities to maybe shift to something else. Did, did we do that? Yeah. Uh, I do not think we missed an opportunity. I, I think it's still the Motor City. It is morphing. Uh, this industry is changing more and I think has changed and will be changing but has changed more in the last 10 years than since the turn of the, uh, the 20th century when uh, the auto industry was just getting rolling. It's massive changes. It also reminds me of something, of two points, uh, and one going to one of your earlier points about uh, branding and in the modern, uh, uh, what do the younger generation think of the automobile industry? First, uh, for many years, it was the glamour industry. And if you were an engineer or you were a, a, a designer, you wanted to work in the industry besides the fact it has hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs. It's uh, lost that sheen. It lost that uh, image as a glamour industry as youth moved to, and youth, I'm not sure what that means, 40 and under maybe, as they started moving towards uh, uh, the digital world. 
And, uh, and I, I, I think that the Motor City has to recapture that, and I think they will with all this emphasis on mobilities and, as Daniel Howells pointed out, the severe need for programmers and, uh, and, and experts in, 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 beyond just auto engineering or electrical engineering or tool and die making, though there are plenty of jobs still for tool and die makers, by the way. Um, the other thing is uh, what we haven't talked about yet is the buyer. The uh, young people see a car much differently than my generation. Than we do, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, especially our, our ancestors, right? My dad or my grandfather, uh, uh, they were Chevy men or they were Ford men, and that's all they bought, and you badmouth the opposite uh, <laughs> uh, brand, you know. And when you grew up, all you could think about was a car with big horsepower, uh, nice cherry red, maybe a finish <laughs> on it, and— there wasn't, you know, what can you do with put wheels on it and make it faster? Uh, where now, uh, there isn't that kind of uh, perspective on what does uh, a young person want in a car. It's a rolling uh, cell phone, or smartphone, I should say, in many ways. And again, you think about the technology in a modern car, screens, uh, all kinds of uh, 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 computers on board and sensors and, and getting close to the ability to drive themselves but also what you can plug into, all your electronics into. I mean, they have USB ports now. Uh, uh, you can certainly link up to your phone. And that's a different perspective for the buyers of the future. And that's going to be meshed with you know the design of cars over the next 10 to 20 years. Okay, Michael Smith, Principal Archivist at the Michigan Historical Collections at the University of Michigan's Bentley Library. Thanks very much, my pleasure here to talk about this. My pleasure. Thank today. you. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about the generational divide when it comes to how the auto industry is viewed. What do millennials think about Detroit as the Motor City? Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number we always want to hear from you. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Like a lot of people in Southeast Michigan, I come from a family that built a lot of economic security on auto jobs. I can remember the 1970s and 1980s when it was sacrilege to buy a foreign car. My grandfather, a UAW executive, wouldn't even let us park my mother's Toyota wagon anywhere near his house. And he eventually went out and bought us a Chevy Nova. But what about my kids, who are growing up here 40 years later? Do the changes in the auto industry mean they won't have that kind of brand loyalty or think of the place that they're growing up as intrinsically tied to the idea of cars. That's why we want to continue the conversation now with the next generation of Detroiters and how they will see the city, the auto industry, and that nickname that we have carried around for decades, the Motor City. Joining me to talk more about that is Adrian Roberts, a reporter who covers the auto industry, among other things, for the Wall Street Journal. And Adrian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Also is uh, here is Rory Carroll. He is the publisher of Auto Week. Rory, welcome to Detroit Today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I should point out, uh, both of our guests right now 
are much younger than I am, which means they're millennials. <laughs> and they're the kind of people who I think think very differently, not just about cars, but also about transportation. And so they're going to help us understand what this generational divide might look like. And let's start there. Is there a generational divide in the attitude toward cars here in Southeast Michigan in particular? And if so, what does that look like? Adrian, I'll start with you. Yeah, Stephen, it's funny when you were saying that you grew up where you had to have the domestic car. That's how I grew up. It was, it was, you know, you better buy domestic and we'll get a foreign car and we'll hide it in the garage. So, So I grew up the exact same way and I've lived here my whole life. And, you know, my friends and I lived through the bankruptcies of um, GM and Fiat Chrysler. And I think we thought we're not going to work in automotive. We we want to move away from Detroit. We want to work in different industries. And lo and behold, all my friends and I work in automotive. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're quite hypocrites. But Well, and that's an interesting way to even characterize your work. I mean, you're a journalist, mm-hmm. but you cover the auto industry. And so you've considered yourself part of this I guess, massive culture that sweeps us all up here into into that work. Right, right. It's just amazing the breadth of the automotive industry here. And, you know, even my friends that aren't working at automakers, they're working for marketing firms that do work for the automakers, they're working for suppliers. And it's just been interesting in these past um, few months as GM announced that it was going to lay off people. I just saw how that, you know, trickles down the line and so many people are affected. So I think as, as much maybe as we don't want to call ourselves the Motor City and we think <laughs> there's, there's so many other industries here, I think so much ties back to automotive. And that's something that we're not going to escape anytime <laughs> right. soon. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, Rory, Carol, uh, what, how do you answer that question? Do you see a difference with younger people and the way they think, not just of transportation in general, but the way they think of this region and its relationship to cars. You know, I think this is a this is a weird region, right? This is, um, you know, I think inescapable, right? In in Southeast Michigan, everyone you know, and I'm, I'm not actually originally from here. I moved here to work in the car business. Um, but I think uh, everyone you know here has a deep, a deep connection, a, a generational connection to uh, to uh, one company or another. Um, they have these beliefs about what these companies mean and and what they uh, you know what they represent. Um, so it, this is a weird uh, kind of place to judge that that you know generational relationship to the automobile from. So I think probably there's more um, there's more enthusiasm or or, or uh, there's more emotional connection to that industry here than than anywhere else. Um, so I think um, yes, I think here. Uh, here, there, there is even among younger people. I mean, you go to Woodward today, um, any any sun, uh, any warm night on the, in the summer, it's packed full of kids, um, racing, uh, parking, hanging out, uh, talking about cars. So a lot more foreign cars probably now than there were sixties, <laughs> seventies, uh, and eighties. But um, there's still a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. I think that's also the case outside of Detroit. I think we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, this this. This, you know, to the early point, this uh, industry is all consuming in Southeast Michigan. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to hard to really see it anymore. Even across generations, yeah, it's hard yeah. to get away from it. Uh, as always, the number is 313-577-1019 if you want to join the conversation. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Vancey in Troy. Fancy, welcome to Detroit today. 
Hi, Stephen, Hi. and thank you for all your wonderful shows. I oh, really you. enjoy them all. That's very nice of you um, to say. Yeah, I'm calling to comment on the name of the Motor City. Um, my son and I have talked about this. He's a millennial, 33 years old, and he suggested the name Motion City <laughs> because it you know, means more than just you know, vehicles, machinery, but also people moving, ideas moving, going forward in motion. Huh. So that was his suggestion. Wow, that's an interesting, that is an interesting suggestion. It's not too different from motor. Uh, Adrian and Rory, that kind of reflects, again, some of the changes that we're seeing in the way that younger people think about transportation and cars, that they aren't, they aren't like us. Right, and it's funny you say Motion City, but I still think Motor City is ingrained in even the generation after us, which is Gen <laughs> Zer. So I was at the auto show yesterday talking with kids from you know 12 to 22, and it was amazing to me. I was so surprised. I thought they were going to tell me, I don't care about cars. I don't want to own a car. Instead, I got, yeah, I want the biggest SUV. I want a pickup truck. Wow. I want something roomy and big and boxy. And that is what the big three here are so well known for and what they're doing you know, a ton of right now. So I think Motor City, even for the next generation, might be what we're calling Detroit. Huh. Yeah, I think there is kind of an essential tension, too. I mean, I think the the prevailing idea in uh, media, certainly, and in what's being represented is this tech-forward mobility. Everyone's going to be on scooters or EVs or whatever, whatever. I mean, there there are all these emerging technologies that people are so excited about. I think there's kind of a, a little bit of a rub-off effect from whatever's happening in Silicon Valley. But um, the reality on the ground is, again, if you talk to kids, if you talk to uh, people my age, people younger than me, they still want cars. They still want experiences. They want the freedom of being able to go where they want, when they want to go. I mean, that's different in New York. Uh, that's different in, and I think that's where a lot of the kind of media stuff comes from is, yeah, you know, all those companies are based in New York. Nobody has a car. Um, hmm. But but here and in the majority of the country, um, cars are still very desirable. Now I think there's there's also a an effect. Obviously, uh, millennials and younger uh, don't have the same economic uh, opportunities that their parents probably did, um, as far as their you know wage growth and and uh, the effects of the the last uh, recession. Um, so that kind of changed things. But you know as soon as as soon as there started to be some kind of recovery from from the last recession, you saw um, millennials overtake uh, Gen X as far as car purchases. I think, um, yeah, it's still a very compelling uh, kind of signifier for people, whether whether that fits with what we want or, or not. I mean, people still have an idea of what their car is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Glenn, who is... From Detroit, but calling us from San Francisco. Glenn, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for taking my uh, call. Sure. Uh, this is a great discussion. I want to go back a little bit in history. Uh, I'm a docent at the DIA, and we have those murals in yes. the middle of the DIA Museum by Diego Rivera. My favorite space in, in the whole city. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the place I take anybody who comes to visit here in Detroit and it's my way of showing them what the city is about. And you're right, Glenn, that's all about the auto industry. And you know, when I'm talking to people and I talk to them about, this is when Detroit 
put the world on wheels, I get goosebumps because we had almost, we had 1.7 million people in Detroit, 100,000 people working at the Ford Rouge plant then putting the world on wheels. Hmm. Yeah, Glenn, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. I think uh, you're absolutely absolutely hitting on something that uh, defines us as a region. Let's go to Brett in Ypsilanti. Brett, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Great discussion. Um, As now a graduate student studying environmental policy um, in undergrad and then after interned at U.S. EPA and then after that got an internship uh, working at an automotive research firm. So that was an interesting switch, but learned a lot. Um, And as somebody who grew up in Metro Detroit um, and is looking for jobs now and in the environmental sector, definitely California um, and New York City just have way more opportunity. Um, so I wonder if we're still doing the same thing in keeping just tight grip on all jobs related to automotive, hmm. but not really expanding. So you have people who do environmental regulation and all these other jobs who kind of get gravitated towards other places. And then also hmm. with software engineers, um, at least the friends I talked to who are studying that at U of M and such, um, they'll be looking at California first um, and New York and in Detroit if they find an opportunity that's there too. So I just wondered with like the cost of owning a car, you're talking if you have good credit, like 300 with insurance and the payment could go up to 600. Um, uh, but yeah. if you live in one of those cities, you don't have that payment at all. Um, so just wondering about that and if we aren't moving towards public transit hmm. um, and we continue to push the narrative that autonomous uh, taxis will make it so we don't need public transit, um, is that too big of a gamble and are we yeah. just going to shoot our region in the foot? Yeah, Brad, uh, great question. Uh, we've got Thanks. about a minute and a half left, but uh, Adrian and Rory, uh, take a shot at that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously public transit uh, I think is is a good, right? Um, we should be looking to get most of the commuting that people do out of, of regular cars. Um, I don't think the autonomous taxi thing is, is the right answer. The environmental cost of that is, is too great. Um, and I do think too, that, that, you know, to the, to the earlier point in that, this is kind of a multifaceted question, but, um, Detroit does have to do a little bit more to attract talent. Um, I think, you know, cost of living is obviously very, very cheap here, car Mm -hmm. payment or not. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, you know, the, the, race i hear that all the time people people want to be in silicon valley they want to be in new york um and i don't really know what the answer i mean obviously more amenities in town more stuff to do helps um adrian yeah well you know it is interesting i think if you think about all these cool autonomous vehicle jobs these are where the cool kids want to go now and this is those are in san francisco those are in new york and i think the big three are here are going to have to work to make sure they keep some of those jobs in Detroit so they can attract talent and and you know there's not this bifurcation between between the the engineers here working on the vehicles and mm-hmm. the people doing the new cool stuff out on the coast. Hmm. Got to pay, right? <laughs> right. Want to attract talent, you got to pay. Okay, Adrian Roberts, reporter with the Wall Street Journal, and Rory Carroll, publisher of Auto Week. Thanks to both of you for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.